I, I know. <laughs> and you, you always do this. And it says, and it makes me feel like I'm the crazy one. Because it's, it's like... It was like eight dudes. podcast that has long had something of a preoccupation with the precarity and absurdity and capriciousness of life, and recognizes that maybe that's not the sort of thing people want to hear about in the news, or when they turn on their televisions or scroll through their social media feeds, but still can't help but think that maybe we'd all understand the world a little better, our place in it, how little control any of us really have if we saw more of the seemingly endless horrors of the day through the same lens that the media have brought to the recent tragedy in Miami. A half-collapsed apartment building in Florida is now a mass gravesite for some 160 people, buried under steel and concrete and plastic and glass. Most everything they owned and everything that contained those possessions now broken and impenetrable and terminal. If 160 people had died at the whims of a gunman at some sporting event or some mall, if 160 people had died because some maniac blew up a crowded grocery store or movie theater, if 160 people had died in one incident in almost any other way, there wouldn't be anything else to talk about or think about for a week. But there is no easy villain here. There is no obvious person or group upon whom we can foist all our hatred with competing self-righteous moral claims about who is trying to take what from whom. There is no ready-to-hand red team, blue team framing device around which to rally the familiar arguments. Just 160 people dead because of bad luck, maybe some procrastination, and a persistent, unacknowledged faith that tomorrow will be just like today, more or less. That nothing particularly good or bad is going to happen here, where life just continues apace. Until it doesn't anymore. Until it's all crumbling down in the dead of night, and you really can't even be sure what's happening as it all falls apart. And all that can be said afterwards, with no one to blame, no one to rage against, no easy receptacle for our hate and grief, all we can say, mystified and inexplicably spared, is here we are still. Here we are. My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host, that's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here too. How are you doing, Lori? I'm here too. Today is Tuesday, June 29th. 2021. It's a Pride Month here in the States, coming to an end. What are you proud of? <laughs> Is that not how it works? Not allowed to be proud of stuff. Although, according to a uh, the uh, Savage Lovecast, listen to this Dan Savage show uh, in parts most weeks, he was talking about there's some they've now included in some of the Pride literature that pride includes straight people? Wait. <laughs> that, like like that, as allies? That, yeah, or no, like... that, that, that you can, they've expanded the alphabet soup of the LGBTQIA plus questioning, et cetera, et cetera thing 
to include straight cis heteronormative individuals. All right. In Happy some Pride. Way. So. So, hmm. So this is all encompassing all of these yeah, letters. Yeah, Savage didn't appreciate oh. that. He's like, "Where are the gays? <laughs> this is for the gays. <laughs> Fuck out of here, straights." You're welcome here, but you don't get to be part of like the letters, you weirdos. And that's right. the right take, as far as I'm concerned. I, I agree. You love Dan yeah, Savage. It, I do. I, I I like Dan Savage just fine. Yeah, I listen to him like once in a blue moon. He's not in my regular rotation, but he's pretty good. He's one that I gotta be. I gotta be quick on the thumb if the kids are coming down the stairs while I'm wrapping up my exercising and I've got the podcast going. You don't. You don't want. The kids to hear those freaks calling in and asking those questions. We're going to start off the show with a little bit of (laughs) housekeeping up top so that, you know, obviously with any podcast, no matter how good and thrilling and engaging the content is, you're going to lose some folks from the, the first few minutes to the end of the podcast. That's just the nature of life here especially when you talk this slowly yeah that's the idea i'm that's i'm driving the oh point oh my god home. i'm gonna leave <laughs> is that true with podcasts because i know it's true with radio shows you know you're driving and hey i, I reach my destination fuck the rest of this with radio it's all very random right These, you don't get in the car at 1206 right. every day to make sure that you catch the beginning of rush limbaugh's god rest his soul uh, opening monologue say that about him <laughs> No, it but people happens. would stay in their cars on occasion. Yeah, so like if to finish a I start yeah. a podcast that I'm not that interested in, and then another podcast that I am interested in has a new episode, I'm not going to finish the episode that I'm not that gotcha. interested in unless it was really good. Right. So it could be that. Yeah. I mean, I assume that people lose. I mean, come on. I don't like listening to me go on at yes, you this do. length for long periods of time, but I assume that that is also the case for lots of other people. Anyway, uh, way back in September of 2020, Abe, you and I recorded an episode of Cast Iron Brains, a content maw episode on Philip K. Dick's book, Ubik. Oh, that's right. In my head, we talked for like four and a half hours. And didn't really accomplish anything good or interesting. And I had edited like the first 35 or 45 minutes of it way back then. And somehow, I don't know what came up, but I never never went back to it after my first... You don't like completing projects is what came up. I, I put out a new goddamn episode of this show every week, so I don't know what you're on about. <laughs> if that were the case, we'd be sitting on 60 episodes just on my computer. Is the podcast done? And I would just be telling Abe, yeah, it'll be up soon, man. Don't worry. That's why I said this is a perfect medium for you. It's never done. I would realize like a few weeks later, you know, because I'm always behind on podcasts. Anyway, I finally went back and finished editing that episode. So anybody out there who actually read Ubik way back then, uh, maybe hit the Wikipedia page or something to refresh your memory. Or even if you didn't, it could be fun to listen to. Because in uh, the 4th of July week, sometime in there, I'm going to release that episode of Cast Iron Brains. And in fact, uh, something of a small announcement on that front. If you check the show notes in today's episode, you will see links to Amazon where you can purchase Ubik either as an audiobook or as a, a physical copy or a Kindle or what have you. 
And if you follow those links and then make the purchase, uh, we will get, and by we, I mean uh, me, will receive a... <laughs> me, also, a, we, a, in a the small room. kickback from the evil empire that is Jeff Bezos's Amazon. Um, which is a very, very small way that if you are planning anyway to purchase Philip K. Dick's Ubik right. and read it, then go ahead and do that through our affiliate link, and we will get a small bit of money as a result, which I'm not thrilled that that's the way that this sort of thing works. I am. But whatever. It, it is what it is. And so if you're planning on following along and want to read or listen to Ubik, go ahead and follow the links through the show note and do it, buy it that way. If you don't want to buy it, I'm sure the book is widely available at your local library, and you should uh, do that instead, books obviously. Are sold. Yeah, wherever books are sold. Furthermore, the plan was to record two episodes of Cast Iron Brains tonight, but we are starting very late, and I do not want to go until midnight or whatever that would take us to tonight. So we'll just do the one episode tonight. Mm-hmm. Maybe I will... I was working on a project a small thing to use as a 4th of July special. Maybe I'll just do that myself and put that out myself. Um, it's my fault because I had to work. But it's fine. It's also Abe's fault because we couldn't record That's last right. night. That's right. Abe, you uh, you were on vacation this uh, or a long weekend down in Panama City. Now, Abe, before we get into whatever it is you were doing down there, a couple <laughs> of questions which won't mean anything yes. to anyone except devoted listeners to the buffer. But are you aware of any arsons or shootings that took place <laughs> in the Atlanta area while you were out of town? Uh, hopefully this is not taken out of context, but unfortunately, no. So there were none, uh, none of those sorts of crimes you? while you were out of town. But you were in Florida, and I... I can't help but notice that there was a fucking disaster in Florida <laughs> while while you were in the general area. Uh, the, I mean, well, obviously, you don't general area. Don't comment, obviously, but it's just something I want to put out there. I, th- you know. I, I thought this would be a you know because this is like probably one of the first times I've gone on a, a trip this year, and there's been a, a lot of violence around uh, the city with uh, arsons and just regular violence shooting. And I uh, said that, oh, this you know, this happens all the time, even in my absence. And obviously, it's the one weekend where there wasn't much. Actually, as soon as I got back, there was a shooting at some strip club a few miles from where I live. Furious. <laughs> it's, it's very odd. It's following me, this yeah, crime. Yeah, that's what it is. Curious. <laughs> you went to uh, Panama City, right? You enjoy the beach? Yeah. I actually, I think for the very first time, even though I've watched this sport a, a lot in, in my neighborhood, but I've, I pl- we did a little pickup of volleyball. Oh my god! Beach. Amazing. And I am terrible at volleyball. Like, <laughs> it's watching hard. others do it does not help in any ways because <sighs> the ball moves a lot faster when you're in it right. than when you're just watching. Oh, I would have uh, watched yeah. that, and I would have shed a tear. I would have watched it just my heart filling to the very brim as you. As you finally got to play volleyball and then failed miserably at it. It would have been <laughs> such a joy to watch. Yeah, it turned out I'm not good at any ball sports, even the volleyball. But it was fun. We rented a boat. I think I sang karaoke one of the nights. Uh, was, you know, you not think too you shy. did. I was, uh, 
that first night was a little rough. But, yeah. Uh, it was pretty good. Well, good. We uh, what did we do? We didn't do a whole we lot. We played Mario Golf. That's right. That's gonna blow. Oh, nice. Yeah, we the the new Mario Golf game came out on the Nintendo Switch, and it is spectacular. Anybody out there? Maybe I'll put an Amazon referral link yes. in the, in the show will notes. Actually buy that one for Mario Golf. If you are a Nintendo <laughs> Switch having individual, don't want to call anybody out there like a gamer or uh, or even a person who games. But if no, you are because if you're a Switch gamer, then you're not really a gamer. If you're an individual yeah. who owns a Nintendo Switch and you like this sort of thing, it's Mario it's Golf so is good. wonderful. It's like every golf game that's ever existed but new and better. All right. So let's begin in Miami where I sort of started us off with that happy opening that I wrote where a condominium building in the middle of the night, two or three o'clock in the morning, something like that. It was one thirty. Just collapsed. It's two towers. One of the towers basically just... Now it's like 1.3 towers. Half fell down. And the pictures from afar... And, you know, the nice high-res images that you can get are quite incredible because you can sort of look closely where the building has sort of shorn off itself. And there's a there's a double, there's a bunk bed there on the top of the 13th right. floor just hanging out totally fine. Uh, except for the fact that, you know, you can see it when you really shouldn't be able to. And, and below it is 13 floors of collapsed... Uh, concrete and glass and steel and it's a real bummer and for no i mean it was it's weird in part because this is sort of thing that doesn't usually obviously just happen Uh, there's been plenty of obnoxious speculation online in the absence of official explanations from the likes of charlie kirk and other of that typical right wing conspiracy mongering ilk suggesting that what is the argument well, there's no making. argument, Abe. There are assertions about questions that need to be asked and uh, people who are – I'm speaking with engineers and first responders who won't speak to anyone else in the media who are insisting that uh, something else is going on here, that a domestic terrorist incident is being covered up, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Oh, that sort of speculation. I've been, I've been kind of out of the loop on the news. I, I did hear about this on – over the weekend, but I was not aware that people were going there. Because, first of all, the whole thing is a tragedy, and I will say, I've always said uh, my least favorite natural disaster is the earthquake, because of, I mean, this just wasn't an earthquake, but this is similar to what would happen if there was an earthquake, which is something collapsing on you, right. and if you're still alive, and you're just wasting away until somebody finds you, or like some dog sniffs you out, Worst case scenario. Yeah, uh, your little monologue but, at the beginning there is super wrong because it's like all I've been thinking about since right. Thursday or whenever. I'm not saying that people don't become preoccupied with this sort of thing. I agree that they do, but it is not something that is preoccupying the media. It is not something that, in the way that other tragedies and disasters and. But usually. The one that you're referencing, basically somebody had a hand in it. Like, you know, the, the Las Vegas guy would just shoot everybody. That person did it. You know, there's somebody to blame. In this it's case, it seems like there's information that can be found out relatively quickly, where this is going to take months to years. Right. It's not right. It's, and it's not even that there's someone to blame as much as you can quickly align that, that there are obvious ideological lines that are typically drawn in the wake of these things. 
whether it's a terrorist attack or a gunman or even a natural disaster, even natural disasters now, the ideological lines are drawn and people on the left will start talking about how this is the inevitability of right-wing climate denial uh, come to fruition, and then the right will get up on their own righteous horse and make the same argument back in the other direction. I mean, this is gonna, they're going to make this into that, I mean, like they would with anything. I think I quickly saw a headline on Fox News about like the someone in Biden's administration saying they can't rule out climate change as being a contributing factor. So this will eventually turn into something stupid, like it always does. It could also turn into like uh, maybe there should have been more oversight. You know, these what's that? Infrastructure. Yeah, infrastructure. Like it's yeah, literally they're, they're, infrastructure. Right. Yeah, crumbling infrastructure. Initially, I was thinking like maybe it was a sinkhole, but it seems like it's trending towards there were structural weaknesses. What's the difference? But if there, it could be a sinkhole, and also that caused right. this. You know, I don't know how sinkholes work. So the way right. the the latest that I've seen is that under the pool deck is supposed to be a waterproof concrete pad. So I had a disagrees with all of this. Yeah, <laughs> shut up, cat. We since we moved a uh, brief aside here for the home viewer, we moved to the basement, which means we can't lock the goddamn cat out of the recording area any longer until we move into She's another room good in the basement. Cat. She's so cold. that has a door. Uh, so she just uh, waltzes in whenever she feels like it and announces her awful goddamn presence. She's uh, not. She's good. Anyway, the latest that I've heard is that there is evidence that is was circumstantial anyway that points to the fact that this all started in the vicinity of the pool, that if they are – there was this woman who was on the telephone with her husband as it was happening and right before – everything gets cut off right before the call was abruptly ended. She says something about something is happening with the pool and that structural engineer consultant that they had hired a few years ago at this place in Miami to go through and double check everything ahead of their 40 year review. Apparently there's some law in place that says every 40 years you have to have a very detailed and right. complete review of uh, building safety in terms of structural integrity and all the rest. So getting ahead of that inevitability, back in 2018, the condo association or whatever relevant authority is in this building hired an outside consultant and he determined that there was a problem with the waterproofing around the pool. Uh, underneath the pool deck, the concrete pad was not properly sealed and it was not properly angled to allow all water to run off of it. Instead, it was flat, which let water build up, which would then seep through that concrete pad and into the parking deck, apparently. Anyway, yeah. moisture was getting in places that it shouldn't have been, and apparently this was an ongoing problem that the condo and the homeowners association down there knew about. So in a roundabout way, we will eventually get to the point where this sort of thing can be pointed at as... I don't like to say human caused, but but well, negligence uh, right. on the part of the people who are deciding this. this well, and you know, it's easy to say what's going to happen. It's not going to fall down. Like most right. of the time, that doesn't happen. Right. And what's right. amusing to me about these sorts of like homeowners associations is, and I don't know the exact. Obviously, we can't know the politics necessarily of this sort of thing, but 
you know that that condo association and the homeowners association is largely going to be run by people who want to pay less in homeowners fees and association fees and all the rest. It's not generally going to be populated by people who want to do more and spend more money and collect more in fees. So one imagines that there will be blame to go around here. You know, despite what they said as far as there being, you know, damage and whatever, I don't think they, whoever did the uh, audit, they didn't say that there is a potential for catastrophic collapse, right? So it seems like they were pointing to the issues that, yeah, there's a problem near the pool or whatever. Right, and it's going to cost a whole bunch of money to fix, and you should start getting on that. And apparently they were moving towards, they were moving in that direction, and then it just happened. And that's sort of what I'm saying at the top there. It's like, no matter... Yes, what... Yeah. No matter what you do, you can try to control for every situation. These people were relatively proactive three years ago, trying to get ahead of the audit that was coming and, and then gathering the funds necessary to do the necessary repairs. And then one night it all just falls down around you, and there's just not a lot that you can do to prepare for that sort of thing. And I don't know how many days it's been. It's been five, six days now, but you would think that if the people, because the number of dead is low relative of, to num- what it's going to end up being. The number of confirmed dead is certainly not the 160 that I was saying at the top. It was 12 people with 149 people missing as of our recording right. tonight. So if you're, not to do the morbid math, but if you haven't been accounted for alive. No, you're dead. I mean. They might. Up, it, you might get wildly lucky and pull out one or two more people from the rubble. Right. No, I'm not saying to call it off, but like the chances of. I mean, yeah, there'll there may be a miracle or two, but it's not looking good. Right. No, and it's. I don't think that we've. I mean, I. And it's hard for me to say, but it doesn't seem like we're quite appreciating the fact that there's a building that fell over in Florida, and 160 people are probably dead there. Like, if if 160 people die in any other scenario, we would be freaking the fuck out. And it doesn't seem like that's what's going on. And these people are pretty upset about this. Are they? I, it has a lot of coverage like, as of usual, the news. I talk to people all day, right. <laughs> and you talk to nobody. People seem pretty upset about this. Yeah, and I'm not saying that people aren't upset. I'm saying that the reaction in the wider media is markedly different than it would be for any other sort of event. Yeah, because there would be an additional layer yeah. for them to go off. In this case, it's just like a tragedy. It's kind of like remember there was like a bridge collapse, like in Minnesota or somewhere. It wasn't nearly as many people, but just people were driving home and the bridge collapsed and a bunch of people died, and and. It was a tragedy, but there wasn't like somebody ca- you know caused it. It was just like these failing bridges and buildings, and you know. Right, and it's not like a hurricane where in Houston you can turn on the television for a week and see people like floating off the top of their roofs, right? Like it's not right. like these other natural yeah, disasters, right? It's just over, and it's just awful, and it's That's, just a building there, I and there's nothing that it, can be done at least about it. For me, I don't know. It was the same with the World Trade Center. The building, it's not that it's more sad than the people dying, but it's definitely more striking that this giant building fell down. Because 150 yeah. people is a plane crash. Like, it's yes. it's terrible. Yeah. It's a lot of people. But the 150 people die all the time, like the Joker says in Batman, The Dark right. Knight. Like, yeah. Yeah. it's 
it's not the way we usually have people die. But the building just fell down. It yeah. That they they had a shot, a video shot of it. I'm like, holy shit. Like, you know, I heard about it at Awful. first, but then when I saw it, like it literally just collapsed. It just gave out. I, I will say though, uh, one point that you do make is that you know, news these days is just fodder for like just to fling at yes. other people and uh political adversaries and this is not that sort of story it's just an actual story of an actual tragedy but for a certain of, segment of think like of media, how much attention is spent how many dozens of reporters whole jobs are watching fox news or watching tucker carlson so that right. they can then tweet about or otherwise write short news articles about it the next day like that's what yeah a full quarter of of, yes. on, of of news is these days. But right. my news, on my news feed, on my Google, has been, you know, what it's been in the past few years, but also this now. And it's stories about, like, you know, the report that came out and the guy who decided not to go home that night and now he's still alive. Like, I, oh, yeah. I've been getting lots of news about this. So it's not total, it, but yeah, Abe's right. It's just, it's not the same because yeah, it it's over and and there are no teams. There's no teams, yeah. which is it's why like, on my news it's the same as all the other news because I don't read news that with happened. teams. Yeah, you just can't repackage it for cultural discussion or political whatever. Another interesting aspect of it that I heard brought up elsewhere is this notion of flight from the northeastern corridor over the course of the last two generations where so much of the country's growth for the first you know 200 years had to do with the expanding sizes of cities in the new york metropolitan area and basically the, the northeastern triangle there along with uh, chicago and los angeles and a handful of other cities right but that over the course of the last 30 or 40 years, you've seen just millions upon millions of people move to Florida. You've seen millions of people in the, la in the more recent past moving to Georgia and Arizona and other, other states that you can go look at the results of the latest census and you can see it where the northeastern corridor is shedding human beings and the southeast and the, the Sun Belt are adding lots of human beings. And the reason for this, as proposed... Aside it's from warmer, uh, right? Aside from the obvious, uh, the weather doesn't fucking constantly suck for like eight months out of the year, unless except it does, right? Except that it does, except that it's just different suck, right? Is in part at least understood as cost of living and uh, tax issues and all of that. For example, living in Manhattan, you have something like an effective tax rate of 50-plus percent of whatever your income is because of the additional local, higher local taxes that you pay on top of building fees and rent and all the rest. But the reason that the rent in Manhattan is so high, among many other factors, yes, sure, is that these are 150-year-old, 200-year-old 
buildings that require near constant upkeep and maintenance that, by the way, are built on a foundation of granite that goes 12 miles into the ground or whatever. Uh, the reason right. that those cities were settled where they were is because you could dig relatively small amount into the dirt and then hit a solid rock foundation upon which you could build a 110-foot tall or 110-story tall skyscraper without worrying about uh, the limestone crumbling uh, beneath right. you as as you do in Florida. And so the argument is that as we enter this next couple of generations, that all of these old, what were new houses in Florida that are 20 and 40 and 50 years old, or Arizona, 30 and 40, 20 years old houses, are going to require the sort of upkeep that previously has been uh, required only in the more consistently and older settled parts of the country. And that Maybe that that itself will slow this this flight that's been happening from the Northeast as don't, things sort of even out. Don't you think that especially people moving to places like Arizona and Nevada and Florida to some respects, it seems like people are just kind of going coming out of the frying pan and into the literal fire. Because like the drought conditions out west, I don't know how hot it was, but it was like over a hundred and some odd degrees. There's no water there. So in a generation or two, these people that have left the Northeast. Yeah, in Arizona, they, what was it? It was 114 alive, degrees though. in Arizona the yeah. other day, I think. It's yeah, gonna be it's, it's gonna be three or four days in a row in Seattle and Portland of over one hundred degrees this week. Right. And that's a bad thing, but it's but the other thing that I keep on reading about is like this water issue that's gonna come into play out west. And in Florida, I don't know how long it will be before the rising sea levels and the hurricanes and whatever. It seems like there are no good places to go to. So, like, you fix one problem leaving the Northeast, and it's not just New York, you know, Pennsylvania, Ohio, that whole area. These are are all very old cities that were built, you know— a city like Pittsburgh was has been around for forever in in right. in our terms, right? In American terms, yeah. And it re- they require a great deal of upkeep and maintenance, and it's it's still cheaper than uh, than building new, unless you build new super fucking cheap, right? And right. Unless you go to Florida <laughs> and you build everything out of stucco and plywood, and you don't really plan on it uh, living for one hundred years, and that actually gets into a sort of unrelated conversation about something that's been bothering me for a long time, which is, and it was actually sort of something that I was, I wanted to talk about in our July 4th special, but we'll just do it here since we likely won't have that, which is that we can do things in this country if only we would find the collective will to do them. And we can do like spectacular things to make America great, uh, both period and again, and whatever framing you want to choose. And something that I was reading about just this weekend, actually, was something called Passive House, which is a, I believe it started in Germany. It's a way of designing new buildings and retrofitting old buildings if if building new is not feasible. Right. To dramatically reduce the amount of energy required to power that home because you have, its main feature is that it, eliminates the need for central heat and air by effectively creating a barrier between the inside of the house, like an air-sealed barrier between the inside of the house and the outside of the house. 
so that by controlling the ingress and egress of air into and out of the building so that it, the thing doesn't fucking leak except where you tell it to leak, that right. you can control the environment in a very serious way. And reading about it, the estimates for cost imposed at the outset of a new build is anywhere, depending on what part of the world you're in, as low as like 3% and as high as like 10% of extra cost in terms of what it takes to get the thing built ahead of time. So the upfront cost can be as high as, so a $500,000 house, for example, would cost $550,000 if you're building new. But the energy reduction is between like 80 and 90% of, of total energy cost in the house. And the savings obviously flow from that. And that's the sort of thing. And you combine that, and, I, and the meme that gets stuck in my head is that, that goofy picture of the futuristic city where it's this gleaming glass and aluminum and and there's a beautiful blue sky and there's like trains going through the sky and everything is beautiful and perfect and the caption of the meme is always something silly like this is the future we could have or th this would be uh 2021 right now if only and then fill in the, the blank yeah. for the thing yeah. that you want to change right and usually it's something very silly but it actually wouldn't it the like all of the solutions to all of our problems are readily to hand now, right? Yes. Like, if we do not have to burn another ounce of coal in order to power the world, but we will continue to burn coal for the next hundred years just because right. it's convenient and because no one is able to marshal the necessary resources in terms of human will to actually solve the problem. I think the biggest obstacle to that sort of seemingly obvious and simple solution would be you need to have buy-in for from a number of people and you just don't have it. It's kind of the same problem we had with the pandemic. Like there, this is all the information we know about how disease spreads and these are the rem, you know the thing the steps we can take to mitigate the spread until we get the vaccine and then everybody should take the vaccine. All of those things hinge on people buying into that because you can't enforce these things on everybody. It's too big of a country. You don't have enough resources. And similarly, solutions like, hey, maybe, you know, upfront costs will be slightly higher, but it'll pay for itself in no time. It's kind of almost reminds me of the, that, was it the marshmallow thing? Like, you know, here's one marshmallow. What? If you just there's wait a, there's a for old, a few minutes. There's an old and very famous psychology experiment. Oh, the kids. Yes. The yeah. kids okay. with the marshmallows. Yeah. Yeah, and so there were a handful of them that would not wait the yeah. whatever five minutes or just yeah. a couple of minutes, and and they could track that people that were unwilling to wait. You know, I guess they had worse life outcomes, or I don't know. I right. forget. It's not, been a not while. to pop that balloon, but as I recall, that one was among the many that had uh, repeatability they could repeat issues. A study. Yeah, 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 yeah. So just as a framing, then as right. it's well, uh, but the actual kids, things. I mean. The kids that ate the marshmallow got a marshmallow, and they know they got a marshmallow, and who knows later, right? They got but that, their marshmallow, right? So a lot of people are like, "Why am I gonna sacrifice or put myself in a worse position in the short term for some better long term?" Especially uh, outcome, when change you know? is hard, right? So people are gonna be less willing to do that. Maybe you know a lot of stuff that has happened in the last 
decade or two has been just by necessity. Like, we just need to spend money because the economy has shuttered because of a pandemic. or Right, but the the total inability to see even six months or a year or, God forbid, 10 or 20 or 50 years into the future yeah. m- makes it impossible to do the necessary thing because you're you're always solving for the problem that just happened, right? You're, yep. right, you're but- never going to solve for the problem that is that even if we can see the tidal wave coming, if it's 50 years away, most people are going to say, oh, well, we'll come up with some magical fucking solution, some technology. farther inland today. Some technology will figure it out to save the day, not realizing that the technology already exists. It's just a question of uh, allocating the resources and the the human will to actually do the thing. Yeah, and and there's probably not... Uh, there's no political will to do this idea, but I wonder if, you know, like homes are insured and there's different types of insurance. If, there, if they added like some additional cost to certain types of property or at certain locations to kind of encourage them to like, hey, you're either going to pay a premium of insurance or if you opt for some thing that's beneficial, you won't have to pay this premium. Kind of almost kind of force people to to do the right thing. You could also but, defray the costs. I mean, and not to go like magical thinking policy guy here, but all of those, like uh, the bulk of the cost of new builds can be defrayed with with tax incentives and and tax rebates and all the rest. Where if if it is in fact a ten percent increase in cost up front to properly insulate a home and build it in such a way that eliminates the need for uh, air conditioning and and heat pumps and all the rest or or wood burning stoves and whatnot. If you can mandate that sort of building, or and if if you can't mandate it, then incentivize it in a way that that brings the cost down. Yeah. The problem the problem is the like and not to go conspiracy here, but if you have these massive energy corporations that are beholden to shareholders, they're not going to be interested in helping pave the way for a future where there's eighty to ninety percent less energy consumption in the average home. Right. They have no. They have a, the exact opposite fiduciary and legal responsibility to avoid that eventuality. And these are like pseudo public private institutions that are supposed to be working functionally for the public good that are obviously working in the exact opposite direction. No, that's true. And, and the same goes for, for nuclear power. Like we should have, it, it should be completely uncontroversial. Every state in this country should be building nuclear power plants Everywhere there should be there should be a half a dozen of them in the works in every state that expects to compete in the future, and instead there's there's like you can count on one hand the number of nuclear power plants that I've heard are, but are being broken. But there's a reason for on. that. I mean, like even though it's relatively safe, it's just it's almost psychologically traumatizing anytime something bad happens. Like, right, but that's, we have mass shootings every day. Right, but again, it's not like a rational thing. It's just there are certain things like, you know, car accidents happen all the time. And I know it's like yeah. kind of a different setup because it's like one person it's at a time. or you know. But if a plane goes down, it becomes news everywhere. Like even if it happens on the other side of the world, right? Because I don't know what it is, but certain things, it just seems to hit people. It captures the imagination of of a lot of people. And whenever there is a nuclear incident people freak out and so there hasn't been fukushima what's that 
Fukushima in Japan. Oh, that's the, right. Yeah, yeah. Fukushima, right. but yeah, after the earthquake thing, yeah. But you're right. right. That, I mean, but that's that. the thing. That's the sort, and and that for the disaster that it was, and it was, it's a serious disaster that's going to have long-term consequences. It could have been way worse. Like the engineering largely held. I mean, it, there are there are ways that it didn't, and I'm not trying to downplay that. But it's it is a disaster that could have been way worse. Not for some accidental reason, but because of like good, solid engineering and design that allowed this meltdown to be contained. And if we want to have a future as a productive, technologically advanced, fully industrialized people, it's not going to be on the backs of so-called clean coal. It's not going to be on the... And it's also not going to be on the backs of fucking wind and solar power in the way that we currently have it designed, where it's the, a, a relative drop in the bucket in terms of what our energy needs are. Unless we're, unless we're talking about deploying massive solar sails uh, in the general neighborhood of Earth and somehow beaming that harnessed solar energy back down to the planet, like which is just sci-fi jerk-off motion gobbledygook at this point. Compared right. to a technology that we have on the planet now that provides cheap and clean energy and a little bit of unfortunate waste that we need to figure out a good way of, of dealing with on the long term. Shoot into space. Right, which I've always said, fucking fire it off into the sun. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a big fucking world out there it's in so the universe. Big. And it's unlikely to come back if, in this direction. If it comes back, it would be cool. <laughs> and what is the worst, there, what is the worst yeah. outcome that, that the aliens think? That like, we're fucking litter awesome. bugs, like there that's is the no that, way that doesn't backfire. That is no, but if it backfires, <laughs> Look, you then only, that's still good. You only have to get it out of low Earth orbit, and then it's <laughs> and then it's done. And yeah, we'll sure, be, if there's an unfortunate explosion <laughs> six miles above the Earth, that's a serious problem. Uh, but once I we have, build, but once we build anyway. the once we build the fucking space elevator that can easily just. Take it up Gently and just let elevate. it go. Just give it a push. <laughs> I have a limited understanding of nuclear uh, power, but like, isn't it important that it be near population centers? Right? It can't just be like in the middle of nowhere, right? You need it to be somewhat close to a place. I mean, that, and, that that's just a question of energy transmission, right? That you right. Can, but what I'm saying is like what. You know, it's kind of like that NIMBY, not in my backyard thing. I would imagine a lot of places would not want their communities to have a nuclear facility nearby. And so I think that's one of the right approaches, but it's just one of those nobody wants it to be near them. And how do you get around but that? Why do we – just well, build the, way that you get, the way that you get around it is by having a mature and <laughs> – honest conversation about what's actually happening in the world and i know you laugh wow. laugh laugh and it's why it's and not to tie it back into some other bugaboo of mine but yeah the fact that elon musk is who elon musk is like he is the sort he's the sort of person that you would hope would be able to harness the sort of nonpartisan completely unideological energy to get uh, something like this done, whether it's it we're talking about a full transition to a, a nuclear-based uh, energy economy. But because of the way the attention economy works, I don't want to blame him because he just is who he is. But right. he, he functions as such a polarizing figure 
despite the fact that he's, I mean, not that he's, he's not, I don't think that, I think he gets way too much credit from the fanboys and way too much hate from the, the people who hate him largely. But he's a personality and he's the sort of personality who you can imagine in a slightly different world would be using his charm and his uh, natural I mean, he still could. salesman ability to push us in the right direction and instead is content to be what amounts to a troll on the internet who gets a lot of attention and makes a lot of people a lot of money and has some very big ideas and some very fucking big stupid ideas because his biggest dumbest ideas are the ones that are most successful because they're in 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 typical internet fashion the dumber it is the the more clicks it's going to get and the more money he can throw at it i feel like the people who hate him don't hate him that much uh they do you just yeah but do they matter I don't know, but I do know that that most of our problems are eminently solvable. Um, yes, that's true. And and we lack the ability to cohere around. And I don't, you know, something else that I I didn't put in the show notes today is about Adam Serwer's book that comes out this week, and it's about the cruelty is the point. It's is the name of the book. It's based around the essay that he wrote back in 2017 about Trump and he wrote a new intro to it obviously and it's a, it's a, it's just a collection of essays uh but he had a New York Times editorial in the paper this week where he basically tied the entire Republican party to a neo-confederate movement where you cannot talk about republicanism uh in the in its current form without acknowledging uh the extent to which it is a neo-confederate movement that its its core is uh, racially animated and and like putting aside all of how much of that is true or the extent to which it is true which by the way the phrase the extent to which or the way in which is such weaselly fucking nonsense and i'm yeah. like because i swim in the commentary world I have like absorbed it and it comes out of my mouth all the time, even as I'm telling myself, just say how, like if, cause if you just say how, instead right. of the extent to which, then you're actually saying something, you're making a claim. If you say, I'm interested in the way, the extent to which dot, 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 all you're actually saying is, I believe there's a relationship here. The relationship could be one. The relationship could be 100. And I'm not making any right. claims about right. the extent to which what I'm saying is true. I'm just saying that somewhere in there is a kernel of truth on a long scale of possible truth value. I suspect the reason why at least some people do it is because it's kind of a useful device. Because if you do take a position on a smaller point, People will just fixate on that, or at least they'll, like, I want to talk about this issue, even though you're trying to, I guess, in some cases, try to make a, a larger point. So you're trying to get to this larger point, and to get there, you have to also either take a position on an earlier point, or just say to the extent of which, or, you know, this Weasley language. But you kind of almost have to do that in, unless you get, unless you want to be bogged down on nonsense. It's kind of almost like the, the in work, uh, emails. I never ask two questions in an email. I just ask one question that I want an answer to because the people you ask, always. You ask two questions, they'll only answer one. Yeah, and it'll, it'll be the dumb, useless. I don't care about one, right? So, like, just 
target the point. And I suspect that's why people do that because they don't want to say anything that will distract from their larger point. Or like Ex- you're saying, they just except that it's to- often the larger point, right? Except right. that so many times what they're trying to do is they're trying to bu- you're trying to build a narrative, and the only way to build a narrative is to, and, and if it's a narrative that isn't true or is only partially true, you can only build it out of half truths. And so you right. you say something <laughs> that that may be true, yeah, or that that might be slightly true. But now that you've established it, right? Because you've said the extent to which X, Y, and Z, then you can then you can build on that. And sounds every- very like Colbert truthiness, right? And everybody forgets that the entire thing is built on an ev- uh, on an edifice of extent to which, which is right. nothing, right? Which yeah. could be a foundation in uh, mud and limestone in Florida or in granite in New York. The extent to which this building is safe, right. who can yeah. say? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Republicans are Confederates. Surwer says Republicans are neo Confederates, and it makes it makes it impossible or completely pointless to try to talk to Republicans if you're a Democrat, right? You you've eliminated the necessity for engaging with them in a good faith way. Now, uh, the extent to which Republicans have done that themselves, I think, is certainly. Uh, conversation worth having, right? The way that Mitch McConnell has spent the last two Democrat administrations asserting that he's not going to be complicit in anything that the Democrats do. He's not going to help them. He's not going to give them the cover of uh, bipartisanship to do the things that he doesn't want to get done because ultimately he's just a power-hungry asshole who who cares only about uh, Republican power. Yeah, that's a problem. But it's also a problem if the other side is saying these people are just a bunch of neo-Confederates with whom we, we should not we, – there's no point in really uh, interacting with them. That's not, a, that's not any way where in 20 years you say, oh, we solved the problem of American democracy because what we did was we fucking eliminated the 40% of the country yeah. who – like we completely removed them from power and now they're just uh, – histrionic minority who freaks out about everything like that's the goal if you're adam sorwer in like what 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 does the world look like in 20 years if he's if he's right Right. Uh, who's who's the audience like who's the target audience here it's not the target audience is the same fucking assholes who turn on mbc msnbc every night for the last five years the same professional class of twitter asshole who spent the last five years in the resistance, right? It's just the people in the tribe, and there's no interest whatsoever in engaging with anyone from outside the tribe. And that's right. and, and why I bring that up in this context is because that seems to be the conversation that we have about fucking everything. And that's why yes. Elon Musk or an Elon Musk type does not exist who can marshal the necessary uh, will and, and resources to get us moving in the right direction on any of these humongous questions. I mean, even the Biden administration, where Biden has said that he wants to be the most transformative president since FDR, right? That's the goal, that he imagines himself to be the most transformative president since since FDR. That shit's not going to happen. And none of the proposals, none of the proposals that even the in the the wettest wildest dreams that the democrat in in HR1 in the in the infrastructure program those aren't transformative those are right. just 
And I don't agree with the Republicans' framing of them either, which suggests that they are, in fact, transformative. It's not. It's just more of the same nonsense. Transformative would be an infrastructure and an energy bill that says we will not burn fossil fuels 25 years from now. Are we going to get there? Probably the fuck not. But it would be, that would be something to strive for, right? That would be something to, to try for. And not because we're trying to save the fucking world, but because it's fucking cheaper and safer and better right. to have nuclear energy than it is to burn coal and other fossil fuels. It doesn't make right. it and, doesn't make any sense to do it any other way. And I, I don't understand why. I mean, I guess like just for legacy purposes, he wants to compare himself to like a popular president from the past and from the same party. But currently, the margins for the Democrats are razor thin. Right? You can't do much transformative anything with a razor thin margins. Back when FDR was president, they had comfortable majorities on both chambers. Uh, so you're kind of raising the expectation. Maybe that's why a lot of people on the left of the party are sometimes upset when Biden will do a bipartisan thing for less than what they could get done through reconciliation. Right. So let's uh, talk he, Let's talk briefly about the, because we can tie this all back to the infrastructure nonsense from this week, yeah. which is that last Thursday, Biden meets or, or walks out into the Rose Garden or the South Lawn or wherever the hell they were, walking out of the White House and he's got Kirsten Cinema and a half a dozen Republicans and half a dozen Democrats, and they're all out there talking about how they've, there's 21 senators who have come to a bipartisan deal on an infrastructure plan that they want to get through the Senate, get through the House, and then to Biden's desk. And Biden is saying in that presser, he's saying, I'm going to sign it. It's going to be great. This is great. This is exactly what I promised when I was elected. I was going to work with Democrats in the Senate, across the aisle, with the Republicans, and we were going to get stuff done. And then fucking two hours later, he says in another press conference, all of that is contingent on a reconciliation bill coming through uh, the House and the Senate so that I'm going to tie this $1.5 trillion or whatever it is, this separate bill that was an agreement between Republicans and Democrats, is contingent upon the Democrats forcing through another four and a half or five trillion dollars in spending that fulfills all of the things that Bernie Sanders and the AOC wing and Nancy Pelosi wanted. Uh, and we don't need any of the Republicans. And that felt to the Republicans like a betrayal of what had right. just happened two hours earlier, that he was that he was issuing an implicit veto threat on a on a deal that he had just proudly announced as the second greatest thing to happen in his presidency since the since the COVID relief package. So my understanding of, of what Biden was getting at, and it seems like it was bungled in, in how they were messaging it, because he did get flack from both ends, is that there is bipartisan support for a more narrow deal, right? For a more narrow package for actual uh, conventional infrastructure. So on those things we will do it bipartisan, a bipartisan deal. And then for whatever's left over that uh, the Republicans don't want their name attached to, uh, we'll go through reconciliation. That basically kind of achieves the same purpose. The Republicans can even talk up those things uh, that they agree to, at least the, the moderate Republicans uh, who have signed on, uh, and then also criticize any attempt to go through reconciliation. Uh, right. So it seems Republicans like it kinda... get Republicans arguably get everything that, that they want right. here, right? right? And then they force 
Manchin and Cinema and the rest of the Democrats who don't necessarily want to get on board with the larger project into either saying so or capitulating to the the will of their larger party and and actually going along with it. Right. And and if they're able to keep all of the senators intact, and I think last I heard, and this could change, Manchin is in favor of it. So it looks like Cinema is the only one who it's not clear whether the reconciliation thing can go through but you know that that would be biden's challenge to try to keep his side together to get through reconciliation on what's left over and if that is successful then all parties have enough points on the board to lay claim to whatever you know to say that we at least to the extent that we could to the extent that we could uh <laughs> push through the things that are important because we do agree with infrastructure, blah, 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 blah. And then we we try to fight the Biden and uh, Schumer side on what and was Pelosi, left. Pelosi, who says, uh, you ain't getting any of this unless you do reconciliation. Like she, like everybody was on Biden for saying the wrong thing, but Nancy Pelosi was just as explicit. Schumer has been just as explicit on this, which is that you're not getting one without the other, which to me is an unmitigated disaster that for is Democrats. A dumb, that, that, it's the, I mean, it's the dumbest possible position, and it's a capitulation to like it's one thing to say, "Look, Bernie and AOC and everybody else, we're going to work hard to try to get this through, and you know, start pressing the flesh and and try to convince Mansion and Cinema and the other what are probably another half a dozen Democrats who are perfectly happy to let Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema be the face of this in terms of uh, who gets to, who has to take the fall for the filibuster and for everything else. But what is the virtue in Schumer and Pelosi saying that without the reconciliation thing, we're just not going to do anything on this infrastructure bill as though that gets them a win because it punishes the Republicans or something? Like, it doesn't I, I, make I, any sense whatsoever. The only way that it makes sense, and you're right, I don't think it does, uh, is that they believe that there is a point of leverage here, that they can leverage this breakthrough with the smaller package to say, no, no, no. But they, there is actually no leverage because to this day, it's not even clear that you have the votes for reconciliation as is. They're stuck. They're still stuck in this Republican obstructionism. That the Republicans are pure obstructionists' model, right? right? That they think that they can even with even with full control of the House for now, and even they're just begging for 2022 when the Republicans can take back control of the House. That is that is the model that the Democrats want, and that's that's where they thrive, is where they don't have any power, and they can just complain about the Republicans not wanting to do anything. Right. That seems to be how segments of both sides want to have it, because you can always play the backseat driver and just say, I want to done it that way, I want to done it this way, this administration is blah, blah, blah. But this has happened in the recent past to where you had a some agreement and then because someone wanted more and they try to hold whatever they could get hostage, nothing happened. So like, is nothing preferable to like more of what you're going to get with this bipartisan thing? Cause to me, it's not like just any points on the board at, at this point, when the, the margins are this razor thin, any points on the board counts, get the 1.2 trillion with the agreed upon whatever. And then then try to rally the troops and try to get reconciliation done on the rest. If right. you can I, get that. I just can't help but feel that 
we're at another point where we're blowing it, where in the recent past, we saw that Donald Trump completely blew the response to the coronavirus pandemic, where you could see an easy, like any fucking dummy, including our stupid podcast, could see a path where this was a huge gift for him. Right. Just right. mildly handle it the right way, right? Don't don't be a complete fuck up. You throw in the fact that they figured out that if you just throw a few billion dollars at these pharmaceutical companies, you pro- you promise billions of dollars to, to the vaccine makers and they produce a fucking workable vaccine, like 3 right. or 4 or 5 of them. Yeah. Uh, and you have that medical miracle on the horizon. And they, they still fucked it up, right? So that, yeah. that's a huge lost opportunity for him and good, right? Because fuck him. But then you have the huge missed opportunity of first the, the smaller one with the Ukraine scandal with Trump where Republicans – you could easily see a way where Republicans would, would find this completely objectionable. Where you could, you could say We're, we can convict him here on this. There's enough here. And they threw away that opportunity. And then right. – you have January 6th, which is the clearest, most perfect moment where, and I put this unfairly, I will say, I unfairly put this as much on Nancy Pelosi as I put it on the on the Republicans, because she had an opportunity to take a half a dozen or a dozen or more Republican Congress people who were horrified at what yes. happened, who had completely if they hadn't recently completely given up on Trump, they had now, right? And sure, they would be written off by the Trump people as never Trumpers and all the rest. They'd be they'd be condemned as as rhinos and everything else. But she Pelosi had an opportunity in January to put together a team of House managers and prosecutors of that case that was bipartisan and represented more Americans than she ended up going with. And and is it partly the Republicans' fault? Yes. Absolutely. But she is con- she is constitutionally incapable of doing anything that doesn't say those other guys are fucking evil. And it's just like Adam Serwer, who's convinced that the other the other team is just fucking evil. And it's just like Kevin McCarthy. I sent you the YouTube clip earlier today where he's <laughs> he's on the floor of the House today yes. talking about a thing that he's going to vote for, which is to take down Confederate statues around Washington, D.C. or something like that. Right. right? Yeah. And he spends his entire speech talking about how, you know, the only reason that these statues are here in the first place is because of Democrats. And all of those dudes that were taking the statues down, you know what they were? They were Democrats. Like, that's the whole argument here is that it's actually the other team that's fucking evil. When we have these we have these moments in the in in the culture where it's possible to say together we're going to do this right because it's right. it's just obvious to all of us or or at least a, a serious majority of us never all of us but most of us can agree no matter our politics that what happened on January 6th was un- unacceptable and you saw it you saw it as it was unfolding right then that it was an opportunity that if they had just acted right away and swiftly and with both parties that they could, that that was an opportunity to flush him to be done with him and they couldn't take it right i i do wonder if and i think there's a common theme as to to explain as to why all of these different decisions are made and and it's basically the mo- the loudest voices in the parties uh prevent them from doing the right thing because with the pelosi thing i suspect that she was going to get a lot of shit from the left 
for saying these Republicans who were straddling the fence, they, they knew who Trump was from the get-go, and they had ample opportunity to call him to task from the get-go. And now that the, the shit ha- has hit the fan, why are they getting rewarded with co- you know coveted uh, uh, spots you know on, on the whatever, the team? Uh, because should, there's something bigger than fucking the party yes, opera- yes, apparatus, right? right? It's not hard. Th- th- that should be <laughs> you the know answer. This. <laughs> right. That right. should be the answer. But for some reason, they're incapable of making that case convincingly to the, the loudest people. Kind of like this, like if they just simply explain, look, we're going to patch it all together. Let's get some bipartisan stuff because it's, it's, uh, you're on more solid ground when you have both sides signing off on something, right? That. Uh, those infrastructure deals are going to stay and they're going to be popular with both sides. And then all the other stuff will get it through at a different time. Let's not lose sight of the larger goal. Like for some reason, just explaining these kind of simple things, it goes over people or I don't know what it is, but they're unwilling to, to, to absorb some of the criticism that will come their way if they do the right thing, quote unquote. I know we're running long here, but I want to also talk about, because it, it ties so neatly into the conversation we were having earlier, the New York Times debuted a new monthly advice column this week called, uh, and by the way, advice columns just proliferating fucking everywhere across the internet. There's a, the, the slate ones are all over Twitter because it, it looks like the slate ones are like purposefully bad. I don't know if if the slate writers are coming up with these themselves and then responding to them. There's enough bad questions floated. They're just picking them deliberately, but I, I don't guess. think they're making it up. You know. Anyway, this one is called Race Matters, and it originated at the root a few years ago, which is a black culture and politics website, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. Because it was their interview with the Hamilton director and cast that sparked all of that colorism outrage. But this is a writer from The Root who's now been hired to write a monthly guest column in the New York Times opinion section. And the opening question, uh, the writer is Janae Desmond Harris. She also actually writes a Slate advice column, I believe. I recognize the name. So she's spreading her advice all over the world. (laughs) The opening question is, I won't read the whole thing. It's basically, look, some black people don't think like all the rest of you black people. So which black people should I be listening to when it comes to (laughs) listening to black people? Uh, And this is a quote from the question. I have seen this advice result in paralysis of judgment and also the elevation of some bad ideas that come from the quote right people if we asked kimberly crenshaw adolf reed john mccorder angela davis and tim scott all to weigh in on defund the police we'd get five different answers so uh and now paraphrasing uh which black people should i be listening to and i want to read at some length a quote from her response, which, by the way, I must say, starts off actually okay, where she goes into, we should listen to all sorts of different people and right. hear what everyone has to say, and I don't believe that any one black person can speak for all black people, including me myself, as a columnist writing a opinion advice essay every single week or every month or whatever, uh, I don't speak for all black people. She she acknowledges all of this, but then she gets uh, to the heart of it where she says, and I quote, 
Gather information and learn, yes. But as you're digesting all those tweets and articles and interviews, ask yourself questions like these. Do I generally consider this person or media outlet to be smart and trustworthy? Do I see eye to eye with this person or media outlet on issues about which I feel more clear and confident? Does what I'm hearing line up with my values? She continues. So, if you generally love Senator Scott's worldview and believe he's a brilliant thinker on issues that feel more straightforward to you, climate change, voting rights, abortion, then maybe he's your guy and you should give his opinion a lot of weight. If it feels as if you're operating from a completely different set of values, then perhaps you don't need to take your cues from what the senator thinks about defunding the police any more than you care about what he thinks about tax policy. If your impression of a particular writer is that he or she has a history of being a blowhard who's writing outside his or her expertise, feel free to take that person's point of view with a grain of salt. While all black people obviously have experience with racism, that's not the same thing as having studied, say, school integration, and having studied school integration won't make someone an expert on microaggressions. So go to the people with expertise. All right, so that ends the quoting portion and now for the uh, outrage portion of <laughs> my response unless you would like to respond to what she said there first w w one thing i don't understand is i understand seeking out different points of views and different lines of argument and all that stuff but i don't know why you need to defer to someone else for something that you could self figure it out right or at least uh, arrive at a position based on information you gather from other people because to me what this uh writer is saying is not a workable solution to the problem that was posed right so the problem is like two black people say differing things what's the tiebreaker how do i go about it and the solution does not make sense basically say find someone you already agree with it's like then what do i need the other person anyways why can't i just go right. with the position that because i would have reached that conclusion anyways right if i agree with somebody else they're basically just kind of like this avatar for a position that I already have. Right. So it's an explicit endorsement of ideological bubbling, right? right. In so a moment, like, in a moment it, of a of, of ideological bubbling being like a huge fucking problem. Right. The solution to two black people disagree is oh, just go with the one that you have a preconceived bias in favor of anyway. Right. Right. That's what she's saying is the solution. Yeah, and does this is this limited to like I would I would imagine this extends to gender and other things, but you don't apply this to everything. Like it seems like why is it that you need to come to come up with this weird circular th reasoning to to just say, look, this is all the information I have, and this is what I think of it. This is what I think of it. You right. know? No, you must come. You must. There must be. Fucking absolution. There must be an absolute correct answer, and it must come from the relevant uh, authoritarian expertise. And it must, and it must be, and that can only be handed down from a person with the right amount of melanin in their skin, what? right? And and the only way to be sure that you've got the right answer is that it speaks to things that you already believed right. before you even started listening in the first place. And now we're back to square one. So if I'm if, if I'm filtering just for for things that I would agree with, again, I'm making the same point again, but what the hell was the point of this exercise in the first place? It just doesn't right. make any it's sense. Exactly, it's exactly what we're talking about at the start of the show about how the, the Surwer thing about how don't worry, those people are just evil. The Pelosi thing about how don't worry, those people are just evil. 
the McConnell thing, like it, it, I'm not, I'm not pinning it to any one of the of the two sides here. I think it's fair to say that they both do it equally, and it's it is just completely unhelpful. And the the right answer is that there is no fucking right answer right. for whether or not you should trust Ibram X. Kendi or John McHorter on, on the thing that they're saying, that, that somehow one of them has exactly figured out the way of the world, and that because you have some sort of ideological priors that line up with what they're saying, that they must be right. Like, there is no fucking right when it comes to this stuff. M- largely, this shit doesn't fucking matter in the first place, right? It's all just... <laughs> Content. It's all just nonsense fed into the fucking content maw. But one of the, at least maybe it's just me, I assume other people think this way, but I've always had the idea that never, or always be open to the possibility that someone you disagree with on a lot of issues is right on a particular issue, right? Because no, if no, you're just basically saying, this person is wrong like 80%, or at least I disagree with them so many times, then they must be wrong all the time. You're no, going to miss out on opportunities. Is that people should be open to the concept that they're wrong? Yes. And yes. that's not going to happen. Yeah. I think that- people are, as you did a whole thing on, people are super certain that they're right. Yeah. And they seek out other people to kind of affirm what they already yes. believe. And it's just like, just maybe you're wrong. I mean, do people not look back like five years ago or a year ago? Like, I thought this way and boy was i wrong about that you know so like maybe be a little more humble going forward no no joy reed gets a new television program and says that her homophobic shit that she wrote 15 years ago was uh russian trolls who hacked her old blog she moved off that though right after she never she didn't cop to anything no she didn't really wow no she just let it go away nobody takes responsibility for anything it's fine it's all fine I don't know. There was a there was a whole Twitter thread that that got me thinking about this stuff, which is when what happens then when two people who are of the same ideological mindset basically end up fighting with each other over a, a much smaller issue. Then who do you trust? Yes. So if Jamel Bowie and Nicole Hannah Jones are arguing about the founding on Twitter, like then like then what do you do? Because now you have two people who fight for the same team but now they're arguing over something and one of them must be cast out the only proper solution is that one of these people is wrong and must be cast out from the tribe and 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 what do you do then so we'll we'll look forward to the race matters column to sort that out for us going (laughs) forward anyway seems like a bummer way to head into the fourth of july holiday doesn't it well i was thinking a new bit for the end of your show here could be for you to say something nice. <laughs> just, oh, just try. Just try to say one hell positive over. thing about anything. <laughs> Mario Golf fucking rules. There we go. We already talked about <laughs> that. Yeah, well, that's all I've got right now. <laughs> Our Ubik episode is good. People should look forward to that. Yeah. We didn't buy a car this week. Yeah. We almost sort of did. And is the market for cars still like crazy? Can I keep on? It's a little crazy. So it's it's two things. It's that right now you can get a great big pile of money for your gently used car because there's such a there just aren't enough of them, right? So the dealerships want to pay through the relatively pay you through the nose for them. And given that reality and the fact that we need a bigger car because we have two children and a fucking dog 
I started briefly looking at possibly trading in our car and buying a new one, which we ended up not doing in part because, you know, the market for buying a new car is also, also yeah. elevated. Cancels each other out almost. Right. It yeah. sort of cancels the situation out. But we have a 2017 Honda Accord with only like 32,000 miles on it, and we could get a nice pile of money for that right now, uh, relatively speaking. That's crazy. I also have a 2017 Honda Accord. My old, the dealership where I bought it for, like a month or two ago, they started sending me emails like, hey, yeah, how about you that. give it back? We'll give you a nice <laughs> little. I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm driving it still. Like, get right. out of here. Because plan, the plan is either you, like, we have to sell it back now or we're going to keep it until it fucking blows up. Until the wheels fall off. A year from now. Right, maybe a year from now you get a similar deal. <laughs> Either but... now, never, or just like a little bit later. Yes. Right. It's just <laughs> so, it, I'd never I'd never considered the possibility of selling this car when, when we bought it, but given that like literally we could get like twenty thousand dollars for it right now, which is way more money it's than crazy, I thought. Crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and in a year from now, it won't have that many more miles on it. Right, but the market won't be at all the same for I it know. either. So whatever. I can actually also, speaking we can of which, get one of those way. electric SUVs you say exist. Is there a more, like, I never feel dumber and more vulnerable as a consumer than when I'm sitting in the car dealership waiting for my car to be ready and you get that call or the person walks across the, into the waiting room and they're like, hey, this didn't happen this time. But often what you see is like the guy who works at the service desk walks over and he's holding a dirty cabin air filter <laughs> and, he, and he's, he shows it to grandma who's sitting there like doing her knitting or whatever while she waits for the, the Honda Accord to be done with its oil change. And he shows it to her. He's like, do you see all the uh, dirt and the leaves that have accumulated here in your cabin air filter? Yeah, it's time to replace that. That'll be $110. Like, is there, is there any, do you ever feel dumber than when you're like, oh, no, that, that's fine. I like the leaves in my cabin air filter. That's how I want it. Or it, when you just capitulate and you're like, yep, well, fuck, you got me. You found the leaves in my cabin air filter. I guess you got to replace that. Have $110. It's, it's funny you mentioned that because two Saturdays ago, I took my mom's car to get an oil change. And the person was coming up to me with the demonstration about... right. <laughs> And I've done this the last couple of times, so maybe I'm, I think I'm being rude. So I don't know what the etiquette is, but I, when they're coming to me, as soon as they're basically right next to me, I'll just say no. No, right? no, 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 right. I, yeah. can, I can see you, do, I can yeah. see you like readying the dismissive yeah. hand yeah. signal. It's, <laughs> it's almost kind of like, because I always think of it like, first of all, it's easy to replace yourself. Uh, and secondly, it always reminds me of back when in the pizza days where they would encourage you to upsell, up, you know, hey, how right. about a two-liter or whatever? It's like, no, I just give me the main thing that I ordered. You know, I can figure right. out the so, rest. So, so let's see. Firstly, it's easy to replace yourself. Secondly, it feels like you're being upsold. <laughs> and thirdly, you will never actually replace it yourself. Right. <laughs> right. Like the, the thirdly there is not... And I went to Napa Auto Parts <laughs> on the way home and picked up a new cabin air filter how for thirty-five dollars. How easy is it to replace? Mine needs replacement. Yeah, I don't know how easy it's, it is. I'm sh it's cheaper and easier for it's you than it is. Fairly straightforward. Right. But it wasn't just. It, it's the. 
if it's not the cabin air filter, then it's the trans. It's the recommended transmission flush at thirty thousand yeah, miles. Yeah, the intervals. The, yeah, right. It's the like show me like don't fucking walk across to the waiting room and tell me what's recommended at thirty thousand or twenty five thousand miles. Show me the fucking menu from Honda that says here's what we do and when we do it, and then and do that. Don't give me all yes. of the like like I, I will accept the grift ahead of time, but don't <laughs> don't go like trying to upsell it to me as it's happening. That's why our mechanic in Athens was just so wonderful. So but what's funny about that is that for every five people who trust a local mechanic who doesn't work at a dealership who you think is just the greatest guy, yeah. there are another five people who think that that guy ripped him right the fuck who, off. Who hates that guy? People that I so the person that you're talking about and my guy, who was across town in uh, that guy Derek Jefferson, Derek, who was my fucking boy, who like saved he, my like, ass ruined Abby's car. a number of times. Right. So that's what I'm saying. This guy literally, like, he saved me countless thousands of dollars through the years. Like right. I know that he did. And for every me who loves that guy, who's like, yeah, the fucking Derek guy at the Chevron who has the Weimariner, that guy rules. He's awesome. You can trust him. Take your car there. There's three other people who say, that guy fucking ripped me yeah, right the fuck off. Yeah, who was talking shit about the guy that I like? The same people. So that's the thing about being in pizza is for every three people who say, yes, the guy at Five Star Auto down on Millage is going to treat you right and not rip you off there are three more people who just feel like they got ripped off whether it's true or not they it's, should it's be just better the, people then it's, it's the nature of i wonder not why knowing, is that right? why is there it's a discrepancy ignorance. it's just ignorance it's because the vast majority of people have no idea they don't know how their cars work or what needs to be done with them including me right i'm not exempting myself here that's that's where the heart of the of the feeling of stupidity and vulnerability comes from is the knowledge of my own ignorance. It's like, I don't have the first fucking clue and neither does anybody else. So either you trust the person or you don't. And, and if you take it to a different shop and they're like, Oh yeah, you didn't need that done. It's like, well, how do I know that I didn't need that yeah, done? And you're true. not just yeah, trying yeah. to convince me that the last guy was ripping me off. Two different cars I took to that guy and just carte blanche. I'm going on a long road trip. I need this car to make it there yeah. because I am a young single woman yeah. and I can't be stranded. I'm prepared to spend whatever I have to to not die on the highway. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, we changed your oil and rotated your tires right. and everything else. And we cleaned the brake. You didn't need new brake pads. We just cleaned the ones that are on there now. So, bye. Right. So that day, that person treated you right. And you Every felt... Every time! Right, and, but... But you're you, right? And maybe he liked you when you walked in and you didn't seem like an awful bitch. He like, would be the first. But but <laughs> but what I'm saying is people have different interactions with Analyzed. one another and they get and they get you just get a different fucking vibe, right? And for everybody who loves one restaurant because because I guarantee you that this conversation happened with you and your boys if you went out to eat, that yeah. like somebody left a, a table thinking that fucking bitch of a waitress is a racist asshole who treated us like shit. And and three of the other people at that table didn't even fucking notice, right? right. And it's all about the vibe of what's going on. I hope right. I didn't just invent an anecdote out of complete thin air. But a, a variation of that has happened in the past, yes. Right. It's just yeah. how humans interact with one another. Sometimes you, it works and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes you end up paying fucking four hundred dollars for an oil change at the goddamn Honda dealership. <laughs> but I guess, like in Lori's example, I mean, if 
there was an opportunity to exploit, you know, like, hey, hey, I'm vulnerable. I don't know how this works. I'm just trying not to die. And then this they is an say, old car yeah. that I need to not die in. Right. And I have money. Right. Here it is. And they could have taken advantage, but they did not. That's uh, not that's a sign a of character. Little. No, I full, uh, you're missing my point. I fully trusted those guys. I right. liked them. I would trust them with my children. They they helped me out a number of times. When you have an old beater of a car or you have a relatively new car that you drive into the fucking ground 100,000 miles in a short period of time because you're delivering pizzas in it, you need to have a mechanic that you can trust. Right. And I trusted those guys. But the point is that half my coworkers simply never would. And it's not, it had nothing to do with whether or not those people were actually trustworthy. It's just who you end up trusting. Right. You've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. You can find the show on Facebook or Twitter. Head over to castironbrains.com or brainiron.com. It's the same thing. To get a show note, find other things. As I said, we will be releasing our long-lost content maw episode on Philip K. Dick's wonderful book, Ubik, uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks. And you can also find links to purchase Ubik. If that's something you're interested in doing, click and those links. And Mario Golf. And maybe even Mario Golf. The uh, only thing in the rundown that we didn't get to today was an article, an uh, op-ed piece in the Times this Sunday which was entitled, What I Saw in My First Ten Years on Testosterone. And I uh, naively began reading that article, expecting at some point in over the course of the very long article that I would find out something interesting about what it's like to take enough male sex hormone to transition from a female person to a male person, at least in the way that you present to the world. And I, I read the whole fucking thing, Abe, and uh, it never came up. Uh, <laughs> basically, nothing Bad to do. Title. Nothing at it? all to do with the t male t sex hormone testosterone. What yeah, I don't know. do you think I could write that I could title that? Anything? Could I just write a thing about there... the mechanic in Athens and title it what I saw on my year of... Testosterone. Right. It was basically an identity signifier for the writer to then do whatever the fuck it is that they wanted to do. Right. I don't like even that, know what that was though. Like what I read like most of it and I just like, I don't know what this person's doing. It was pure propagandistic narrative and rhetoric and all about language bullshit. It had nothing to do with our physical reality. But but they were saying that they even though they were born a woman, they're actually a man before they they were doing this like wait a minute I overthink it they were overthinking it and they wrote a whole yeah, thing yeah I know I, I hate that just yeah. tell me your pronouns I'll yeah. call you whatever yeah yeah. We don't have to talk about it because most of the time it's just a shallow relationship hey how are you doing and then get the fuck out of here the piece does get to a fundamental contradiction which is that if it's all a language game it's all just social construction of how we interact with one another then uh, why are you taking yeah. a male sex hormone for 10 years in order to physically transition from one gender to another? Uh, if the binary doesn't actually exist, then, then why are you engaging in the farce that is 
uh, physical reality at all. I, right. don't, I don't. It, I don't. Yeah. There, there was. Which, uh, I think where I bailed out was uh, the. I heard the phrase for the first time is uh, "women of all genders," and I was like, "All right, I don't know what's going on here." Yeah, my uh, youngest brother, with whom I would have a very contentious. Uh, relationship if we were the same age uh, but fortunately <laughs> we are like a full generation apart and therefore I can just like observe and be mystified and occasionally laugh at his silly ways but uh, I follow him on Twitter I don't think that he knows that it's necessarily me that is following him on Twitter because I follow him from the show account oh, and okay. I don't think that he even knows about the show but Somebody on, on, on Twitter tweeted that cancel culture is a social construct and doesn't exist at all. Hmm. And the response from my younger brother was, well, it's just one word, and the one word was truth. So he was, he was affirming the statement, quote, cancel culture is a social construct and doesn't at all exist, end quote. Now, you can say cancel culture is a social construct and then end it there and i don't think that i would argue with you very much right, right. i mean it's culture is a social <laughs> construct yeah, that's no fair. matter how you're going to label the culture cancel culture rape culture yeah. uh fucking sports culture soccer culture black culture all of them socially constructed by that might be what makes it culture human beings right that's in yeah. fact like yeah. it's just a tautology actually is all that you're saying <laughs> yeah, there yeah yeah it sounds more profound than it actually is you right know it's, it is in fact just a non-statement just fact. but if you're going to then uh, amend that completely both tautological and nonsensical truism with and doesn't exist at all then you've you've fucking lost yeah. me <laughs> Because either either it's this thing that does exist because it was constructed by human beings to be a thing, or it doesn't. But but because it's a social construct doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Right. Right. It's still a thing. Right. You fucking yeah. idiot. I guess if they said it doesn't exist beyond that, uh, then I guess it would make more sense. But then it would be a pointless sentence. And then what are you saying? You yeah. haven't said anything at all. <laughs> there is no. It, whatever else it is, it's certainly not truth, Jesse, you moron. <laughs> so they're probably just, I wonder if they're just but, saying, like, this is not, uh, or it's overblown and it's not, like, real because it's not happening to anyone that I know. I don't know what, I'm trying to decipher what. Yeah, but what, that is, yes, you, we can all parse this down to something that makes <laughs> some degree of sense. But the point is that if you put it on Twitter yeah. and you say it in absolutist terms, then you can get a bunch of people to like it and respond to it and say truth to it as though you've said something meaningful when none of that is what happened. This is the same brother, by the way, who takes GIFs that he creates and then sells them for thousands of actual dollars. Actual dollars, which, by the way, they don't exist at all because money is just a fucking social construct. And what the fuck do you think an NFT is? Anyway, you idiot, it's just a social construct. It doesn't exist at all. I turn off the computer, poof, it's gone. It was never there. Although, to be fair, if do you have any evidence of someone making that point and he said not true like maybe he would also sign off on that as well 
he's probably consistent. To be fair, nothing's fucking real. Nothing yeah. matters. Why do we talk at all? <laughs> That's Abe. <laughs> he's workshopping through some ideas, you know? He'll land on the right uh, idea at some point. I've said this, and maybe I'll get a chance to say this to him uh, this summer. I've said this to a, a few different teenagers through the years, and I've never settled on the right way to say it because there is no right way to say it. But if I have a piece of advice for teenagers, it's that the sooner that the young adult realizes that the teenager was a fucking moron, the better off the young adult is going to be <laughs> in the long run. And I'm, I'm talking about these as though they're two things. I mean, the one person, right? Yes. That the, the sooner that the fucking idiot teenager realizes, oh, wait a second, I'm just a fucking idiot teenager, uh, the better off that person. And some people... I don't know that I agree. Some people never figure out that even when they're 30 and 35, that, wait a, wait a second, I was a fucking moron right. when I, I was, when I was 17 years old. Sometimes the young adult looking back at the idiot teenager is... That gives them this sense of wisdom that that's not there. Right, still a moron, but it is an important. No, but it's, it's putting still, something there. It's an that important step. Is realizing that the teenager was a fucking oh, moron because so it, that dumb. opens the door to the possibility that then the thirty-five-year-old realizes what a fucking moron the twenty-three-year-old was. Right. This is this is a right. it's a progressive thing, and it culminates with the distance between the two ages getting closer and closer to where you realize you wake up in the morning and you're like wait a second right i'm a fucking moron <laughs> and then then you're a grown-up congratulations I, some people they do it when they're 25 and it's amazing some people don't ever they they wake up on their deathbed and they're like man I've been so great for right. so long. I can I can die happy, and they do, and oh. they die happy and great for them. But you're a fucking moron. You just didn't realize it. The, my two thoughts are: whenever I look back on my stupid ways, uh, is one, uh, boy, I was a lot more confident in those stupid things than I am now in my more reasonable takes, or at least what I think are more reasonable. Uh, and two is like, how come no one said anything? Like, no, I mean, there are other adults <laughs> and older people. Everybody's kind of nodding. What I figured like, out. What I figured out about that is that because nobody was fucking listening. Yeah, and yeah. nobody's were all just waiting for their turn to talk. And also, they're looking to you for advice too. Yeah. Like, why didn't you say anything? Yeah. Everyone's just looking at each other. Right. Oh, you said it's like, how do you do this? They're like, well, shit, how do you? I thought you knew all of the women, not all of them. So many of these like moms, these like stay-at-home moms that come to my chair. They know each other, right? Yeah. And they will all describe each other the same way. It's like, God, she's got so much going on, and somehow she just has all her shit together. It's like, no, 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 no. she doesn't, yeah. and you shouldn't, and you say that about each other. No one does. <laughs> yeah. And they just, th they look at each other, and yeah. they think that everybody's doing better, and they're not. Yeah. So no, it's, it's, it's that. It's no, Abe, fucking turn it up the music so that you don't hear any problems with the yes. car. That sounded like good advice to me. No, that that's is That's why good I advice. didn't call it up. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm, uh, I was wrong about that. I, uh, my ankle was hurting like months ago. By the way, the uh, Petrie Road Race is uh, next week. And my ankle was just hurting. And I was like, I could go to the doctor or I could just run until it stops hurting. And I did. <laughs> and it did. Totally I'm fine. fine. It just cleared itself up. So, uh. yeah. 
This is 38-year-old Abe. 40-year-old Abe with an ankle replacement will think, oh, I was a fucking moron. Why don't you say anything, Bob and Laura? (laughs) That's right. I'm for it. Oh. What are you? What are your plans? You're running the race on the fourth. Yeah, so they're they're to I guess to be to accommodate spacing or what have you. They're doing it over two days, and they're giving you all the options in person like or Sunday virtual. and Monday or something. The third and the fourth, so Saturday and Sunday. Okay. And so we're doing it on the act. I mean, what's the point of doing a Fourth of July thing on the third? Doesn't make any sense. And this is a scheduling reason. You should just do it on the fourth. Uh, so we're going to do it on the fourth, and then we're going to. Hang out after at somebody's place. I will I'm never gonna understand why a city slow. in the southeast does a race in July. Yeah, it starts like the at it, 6 a.m., so everybody can be done before it gets it's too still hot. hot. Yeah, it the is. At- I've been in Atlanta, there. In Atlanta, on the fucking streets, like it's just it's, awful yeah, to imagine. Don't yeah, get you could do it. Most other months would be better. There's like one other just as bad month. Yeah. Do it, any but it other wouldn't be the Fourth of July. It would be like some weird, you know, other Do day. Do a Labor Day one. Also, <laughs> I don't advise this, but I because I'm too lazy to run in the mornings. I've been running at at high noon, but just oh, very slowly. Jesus Christ! And so I, I think you were gonna say night. It'll, Jesus. It'll, no, so it'll go. It should go swimmingly. Seven a.m. when my 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 wave starts. Right. Should be very. Yeah, we uh, we won't be racing. We're going down to. My dad's in South Carolina. My brother. I don't is, even bring my Fitbit. That's how little exercise I do when I go there. Uh, oh, my nice. brother and his family will be joining us, so they'll be all of my dad's kids together at least. And that'll be fun. That'll be good. Yeah. You know, just to hang out at the pool the whole time. Y'all there for like a whole week? Whole yep, week. Full week. Nice. It's going to be great. Uh, that's why we will not have a fresh uh, episode of Cast Iron Brains for you guys the week of the 4th except for the Ubik episode which right. I listened to like I said I edited it and there's a weird run that we do at the beginning about Bill Maher for some reason I don't know why we decided we needed to talk about Bill Maher for you 20 just minutes. got us in trouble for no it was just we were, I was ju- it was my old complaining about the how bad he is at the Oh, whatever. Yeah. Oh, at the <laughs> look, top. Look, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> look look forward to that. I uh, will, because I forgot the whole t- discussion. <laughs> right. And then, like I said, maybe I'll throw together something, some short little obnoxious mini essay for the for the actual fourth, but but no promises there. Anyway, you, uh, you got anything else for us tonight, Abe? Nope. Well, I guess that's all we've got for tonight, then, and we will talk to you next time. Later. I somehow forgot to mention that the opening and closing themes of Cast Iron Brains were composed by Mark Gillig. You can head over to tetramermusic.com for the latest from his band. That's T-E-T-R-A-M-E-R music.com. A, relative, a relatively successful first six months. I mean, there hasn't been too many opportunities that, realistic opportunities in my mind, that were missed. I mean, 
he has already the America Rescue Plan. The missed, gets- the missed opportunity is the stupid Democratic establishment trying to push the For the People bill instead of yes. a much yes. more pared yeah. down right. voter rights. Like like when, when you have before you the John Lewis thing and the For the, the People thing and you focus and, and you just pour everything in the kitchen sink into the For the People Act where you're mandating – national control of state elections right. for the first time yeah. in the country's history <laughs> like you're not gonna get that but that's like it was never gonna happen it is it is just purely a rhetorical political tool designed to excite the fringiest and worst aspects of your own base right i suspect that they will settle for a more narrow path on that too don't you think you think they're gonna it's gonna be a similar thing as the infrastructure plan where they're gonna hold off I don't have. Any, I don't. I don't know what they're actually. Going. I. I will know. I will not predict that they will do the smart or practical thing right. because it doesn't seem to be in their constitution to be able to do it. And. You, you look- Maybe it's just. And ex- they just don't want to go, and that's like a ready-made excuse, right. you know. Oh, I'd love to go hang out with you. Dum-dums, but... Like it's an excuse that the boys use, which is, oh, well, but none of the other wives are going, so you should probably stay home. <laughs> and everybody says that, then that solves the problem. <laughs> yeah, it's just the boys everyone can just mutual benefit. Fucking hang out with each other shirtless all week. <laughs> just totally normal. That's right. <laughs> we weren't all shirtless. If they're shirtless, I don't want to go. Oh, yeah. That's my... Although, it was, uh, Farid and Mike... Uh, maximize their shirtlessness. I don't know what was going on between the two of them, but they would always find reason. I mean, we're on the beach, so whatever. Chris's friends would always take their shirts off when they walked in the house. (laughs) Yeah, It's like a rule with George. George walks into a house, off comes a shirt. George, you don't even know like 90% of the people here. Doesn't matter. Shirt's off. We're inside. Jersey. (laughs) And they smell horrible as their boys. Alright, let's start. It was like eight dudes. Oh, fun, fun, fun. <laughs>